0: You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com.
1: Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from
0: business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition,
1: online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture, and China, and full access to The Economist podcast plus. The
0: Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com
1: and get your first month free.
0: All right, I want to thank you all for making it to uh, Spiceland and welcome you. I'm uh, Jeremiah Morrill. I'm the uh, vice chairman of the Henry County Libertarian Party, and I guess by default we're the, uh, the hosts of the event since we're in Henry County. So I guess I'm 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 MC as much as anybody else. So the, uh, the plan for today is... Uh, we're going to go ahead. Uh, listen to our speaker. I was able to uh, recruit Sean Rao to come in today. He's a uh, an attorney from Upland, Indiana. Uh, he's attended Taylor University. I assume he graduated. It says uh, attended. We, we won't put him on the. <laughs> oh, it, the next sentence says he received his BA in philosophy. So, it, and then he attended uh, Ohio University. He received his MA in philosophy and attended the uh, Indiana University uh, Robert McKinney School of Law. So he is an attorney here in town. Passed the bar in 2012, and he's been practicing at Galen and Rowell Law Office, as well as the Henry County Public Defender's Office. Uh, specializes in criminal defense. He's a resident of Newcastle with his wife, Sarah, uh, his kids Sullivan and Savannah, and a dog named Wrigley. Uh, Sean says that Ron Paul awoke him to the, from his dogmatic slumber back in 2007. Uh, that's his bio in a nutshell. He uh, considers himself to be liberty-minded. Uh, conservative, which is okay with most of us in the room. We're not going to run you out with the sticks. We're, we're thankful to have you. And if we can agree on stuff 75 or 80 percent of the time, I think we're all friends here. So uh, with that, we're going to welcome Sean. Uh, spend about 10, 15 minutes with him. Uh, he'll give a little talk. We'll have some time for question and answer. So save some of those up. We'll talk about that. And uh, then we'll get to the food. And then each county will have some time to do business. And then at the end, uh, the little Cherry on the dessert. We'll hear from the two candidates for state chair. So, with that, we'll welcome Sean up here. And with that,
1: you. Thank you. So my name is Sean Rao. I live and work in Newcastle. Uh, like. Uh, like Jeremiah said, I, I practice privately at Gallien Rail office, and I do major felonies out of Henry, uh, the Henry County Public Defender's Office, uh, mainly handling major felonies out of Circuit Court 1. So anything from uh, murder down to uh, manufacturing methamphetamine cases, those types of cases are the ones that I receive. So I have a pretty wide swath of, of cases I take care of. And Jeremiah asked, you know, what, what would you feel comfortable talking about? I said I'll just talk about what I know, which is the, the justice system and how that works and how that plays out here. So what's really attractive to me as, a, as someone who's liberty-minded uh, is that defense work is where constitutional rubber meets the road. So we can talk about our constitutional principles uh, like the First Amendment, Second Amendment, Fourth Amendment, Fifth Amendment, uh, those types of things. But where reality sets in is in the judicial system. So if someone's accused of something and perhaps the state does something that is unconstitutional, I'm the person on the front line that gets to fight that fight. And I take a lot of enjoyment out of that. I take a lot of uh, – it's, it's an honor to, to have that sort of profession, to be the agent for your client uh, who may have had their constitutional rights violated. Um, so that's that, to me, in a nutshell – is why it's important for liberty-minded people to get involved with the judicial system, particularly in criminal defense. Um, And and I get to work on constitutional law every day. So a lot of my colleagues in law school um, had a lot of, you know, high-minded ideas and things like that. But defense attorneys are the ones that are in the trenches fighting for your constitutional rights, protect your constitutional rights. Um, There's great attorneys that do First Amendment work, Second Amendment work. But On a day-to-day basis, your criminal defense attorney, your public defender, is the person that's trying to defend constitutional rights in your community. And that's important um, because this is an adversarial system that we're talking about. It's it's sort of an us versus them. And I know that um, libertarians, liberty-minded people sort of enjoy that challenge, enjoy the challenge of the full weight of the state going against your client, being able to step in their shoes and say, there's something going on here. We need to, we need to take a step back and, and take a look at whether, uh, whether, in fact, what was accused actually happened and whether there were uh, people's rights that were violated. One of the great things about our system is that, in criminal defense, is that juries are ultimately the decider of the facts and the law. So that, it, you know, the state of Indiana can throw all these really awful, terrible accusations against people, and ultimately 12 people need to say unanimously, that that person did it. And there's something that's very um, assuring about that. There's some things that are very, um, I think, appropriate about that because uh, in other countries, you would have maybe one judge or a panel of judges deciding someone's fate, somebody that's paid by the state and someone that's that's kind of has that influence and that sort of political interest to push for convictions and uh, try to get the bad guys and things like that. But um, ultimately, 12 people in your county can decide... Uh, what happens in a criminal case and that's very assuring and that's something that you know people talk about jury duty is oh I gotta miss work and it is it is a burden to some degree it's critically important that people like yourselves or people that are your friends your family your neighbors these people need to be the ones serving on these juries we don't need to to kind of pass the baton on to someone else to take care of this this is something that that's a civic duty um, this is something that ensures people, people's constitutional rights. Um, but in the end, a lot of what I do is negotiate. And so when we're negotiating cases or criminal cases, whether it's, it's murder or, or something uh, that's, a, that's a misdemeanor, um, we're looking at what's a fair outcome. And people ask me, a lot of times, if, if I'm at a party and people are a couple of drinks in, they'll say, how do you defend those people? How do, you, how do you defend these terrible criminals? The bottom line is, if you look statistically, in state court, 94% of all state cases in the state of Indiana or any, any state end in a plea agreement. So it's someone that is saying, I did something wrong, whether it's what I'm charged with or some lesser included offense or some other count. 97% in federal court. So 97% of the time to 94% of the time, these people are pleading guilty. And, and my job is to make sure that there's a fair outcome, that even at, at perhaps a contested sentencing hearing, that that person is entitled to a fair defense. That person is entitled to show the judge, if, if we're contesting what the sentence should be, that there are these mitigating factors. These are, you know, these are the circumstances that may be led to this. Maybe this person has had this lifelong drug habit, broke into somebody's garage, something like that, we can, we can show the court that maybe there are mitigating circumstances that they should uh, take into account. And one of the things that, that we often think about is that, um, you know, to, as to those, that sort of argument, the, how can you defend those people, it's that it's just like with, with First Amendment law. We don't need the First Amendment to talk about the weather. We don't need the First Amendment to talk about the basketball game last night. We need the First Amendment to protect what is unpopular, What is what the majority does not like. And likewise, that's why we need the Fourth Amendment, Fifth Amendment. Um, Most people, by and large, will not rely on these things, perhaps ever in their lives. Um, But the key is to make sure that you, in every case, fight just as hard for that person, regardless of what they're accused of doing. And by ensuring their constitutional rights, you ensure uh, the safety for society at large from unconstitutional overreaches by the state. Um, and and strangely enough, a lot of my clients, they're just one accusation away from being put back in, back in jail, um, having additional charges filed against them, and that's all it is. So that's why it's so critically important to do good criminal defense work, to have a strong criminal defense bar in your community. One of the things when I, when I thought about preparing for this uh, was where have libertarians made inroads? with society at large. And so what, what I would say, what I would suggest is, from my perspective, the most important thing that libertarians have influenced over the past 10 to 15 years is the issue of mass incarceration. This is something that um, I think libertarians were at the, at the tip of the spear um, at the beginning of uh, perhaps mid-90s, early 2000s. Now you see Democrats, Republicans taking these libertarian ideas on for different reasons. Um, For example, Republicans are worried about cost. They're worried about the cost of the taxpayer to house nonviolent individuals. Democrats are more worried about different notions of social justice and things like that. It doesn't really matter what your motivations are so long as you know that that's the problem. Um, Somebody like uh, Bradley Balco, who I read somewhat frequently, he talks about mass incarceration quite a bit. So these ideas have permeated our, our society and legislature. And the state of Indiana, uh, fortunately, has taken steps to address that in that in relation to, when we're talking about mass incarceration, we're not talking about um, we need to let violent offenders out. We need to let murderers or burglars or uh, people that cause real real problems. We're talking about people that are accused or, or uh, convicted of non violent drug offenses because those are the people that are warehousing and these are the people that aren't necessarily a danger to their community Um, um, and it's not being treated as a medical issue or a uh, or an addiction issue it's something that's being treated as a crime issue so what the state of indiana has done is made that pass different laws with this new totally revamped criminal code in that um Prior, so for example, if you have a prior felony, prior to the revamp system, if you were accused or you were convicted of a Class B misdemeanor, or I'm sorry, Class B felony, um, dealing in a narcotic drug, you'd be serving a mandatory minimum of ten years, regardless. If you're if you're talking about a felony, if you're within a thousand feet or so of a, of a school or something along those lines, you're talking twenty years. Okay, so state of indiana kind of realized hey we've got way too many things going on and so they did two things in my perspective they changed the code to make all drug felonies um fully suspendable regardless of what someone's criminal history is because there are so many facts and circumstances that lead somebody um to to take different actions uh, that i think that the courts are given a lot more decision making power um which i think is a positive thing i think you want judges in your community making these judgments. Um, second of all, uh, the state has introduced uh, different therapeutic ways of addressing things. So you you have, I don't know, people in here for purposeful incarceration or therapeutic communities in the Department of Corrections. So say a offender has to go to DOC after they've been convicted of a drug offense. You can put them in a therapeutic community where they're getting treatment and counseling, things like that, and then... Maybe the judge says, "I'm going to give you, you know, we got a stick and a carrot. Carrot is maybe you can modify your sentence and get out of prison if you do your drug treatment." Um, you know, some, it's, it is unfortunate that so many people um, have to get to that point, but at least the state is acknowledging that nonviolent drug offenses are a serious problem. But they there's still a problem that we need to address as a treatment issue rather than a, a full-fledged criminal justice issue. Um, now the federal system is a lot different. Uh, judges, oftentimes, their hands are tied, so they have to follow through with it just because Congress has passed the laws uh, that require them to issue mandatory minimums based on criminal history or based on an amount of the drug or whatever the case may be. Um, so, Indiana, I think, is more on the cutting edge, and I think that people like yourselves have influenced both sides to to. Uh, make this a priority. Uh, further, Indiana has has some issues going forward with that as well. So now, for example, level six felonies—they used to be class D felonies—so you're talking basic possession, um, maintaining common nuisance, these types of lower-level drug-related felonies. The DOC won't take these people, so now our county prison, our our county jails are getting overcrowded, including in Henry County. So. That's, that's kind of the downside of what the state has done, from my perspective, in that they've kind of passed the buck onto the counties. Um, and there, there, something needs to be done about that, I think. And, and we need to figure out whether we want to go towards more community based things like work release or home detention or something along those lines um, or whatever the case may be. But I always make the argument that every drug, nonviolent drug offense, you know, we don't need to warehouse people. We need to treat this as, as a public health issue. We need to get people into treatment. We need to get these people into uh, where they need to be so that they can be successful. Because if you just house somebody in a jail cell for five years, you know, let them out, and you think things are going to be better, it's just empirically wrong. I mean, it's just not, there's nothing there there. You need to have treatment components and things like that and more of a, more of a compassionate look at these things. Um, so, I think, you know, kind of in closing, from my perspective, libertarian principles are all, all through what I do in criminal defense. And it should be something that I can, um, in, in an adversarial system where I'm advocating for my client versus the state of Indiana, I should be able to push for these principles. Keeping the state within the confines of the Constitution, I tell the, tell the juries, you are the check on overreach. And, and use that. Um, juries can decide the facts and the law in the state of Indiana under the Indiana Constitution. Every jury trial I go to, I'm going to ask for that final instruction that states just states what the Constitution says. They are the judge. They are the judges of facts and law. And that's very important because you want to empower people. Because people think, well, you know, I'm just a normal person. I'm just you know, auto mechanic or stay at home mom or whatever the case may be. You have all the power in this system. Don't forget that. So you want to empower people, and I encourage you to, to do that. When maybe you have a friend that says, yeah, "I got jury trial, I got to go be a juror, I want to do that." Kind of remind them that you know ultimately, if it was somebody that you knew whose life was on the line, maybe you'd want somebody that's careful and that's deliberate and that that can think these things through and won't just go along with whatever the state says. Um, but but most importantly, I want, to, I want you guys to come out of here knowing that you guys have influence on both parties. Not just your own, but but the Republicans and the Democrats. Because they're picking up on these issues that libertarians have been talking about for years. People are listening. Because reality is starting to set in that we can't just house everybody and anybody just because they del- dealt a pill of hydrocodone in their own house, set up by a state CI. That uh, had to work off their own drug problem. We can't put all these people in prison, um, and I know libertarians been on that for a long time. So I just want to, I just want to empower you guys. I want to encourage you guys that you know there is progress being made. I see it on the front line because I'm kind of the kind of the front line soldier on some of these things. Uh, but it's coming through, and just keep up what you're, what you're doing. Keep up the good work because it's important. Um, it's important work. And uh, if anybody has any questions about justice system or criminal defense or anything, I'd be happy to have answer. Yeah. I, I've actually heard a lot about the ramifications of the prison back in the day, close all the mental hospitals. Mm-hmm. Uh, how much in your work, with, especially with drug offenses, do uh, you attribute to invest you know, in this is going That's a really good question because it's, I'm not a psychologist or a psychiatrist, so it's really difficult for me to, to see that and the effects of a drug like methamphetamine can mask or can appear to be schizophrenia or depression or whatever the case may be. Um, So often you have drug habit, mental health issue, hand in hand. Like it's it's just, they're so interwoven, it's very difficult to untangle that. But they're absolute, like I would, if I had to put a number on it, I'd probably say... Seventy-five, eighty percent of my clients deal with some form of mental health issue, whether it's depression, anxiety, um, you know, or something more serious, schizophrenia. Absolutely. Yeah, they'll think, well, the, the, the methamphetamine will help me, or the heroin will help me, and it just exacerbates the problem. So, yes. Yeah. i mean it's it's difficult to say i mean i I, I think I, I tried one case probably two or three years ago where battery against a law enforcement officer I mean it was on video. it was pretty clear, but there were procedures that the law enforcement officer didn't follow, so they found him not guilty on the more serious ones then found him guilty of a lesser included so I think that sort of jury saying, you know this isn't right, what you did wasn't right we're going to kind of split it in half so i've seen that in my practice, but I mean in terms of Widespread jury nullification. Um, As a defense attorney, it's kind of hard to bank on that. Just because when I get a, um, for example, if if I'm going to jury trial in a month, I'm going to get a sheet of about 65 names or so. And these are the people that are going to make up the different panels that I'm selecting from, that I need to get 12 out of. Um, It's very hard for me. It's In some some ways, it's kind of luck of the draw, Um, you know, but um, it's, it'd be hard for me to bank on jury nullification as, like, a strategy for me. But, yeah. Yes? Like I, the one, the one instruction I always want in my final jury instruction, the final jury instruction goes back there with them in the room. I can't go back there, the state can't go back there, but that can. And that just is the text of the Indiana Constitution saying that jurors um, are the judges of the facts and the law. And while they'll also say you can't totally disregard the law, you still have to find how these facts apply to it and carry that out. So that's as close as I can get. Um, Because anything more is going to be... State's going to object, and I'm not going to get it in. So, yeah, yeah. How often do you see asset in
0: your
1: practice? I see it quite a bit. Like, for example, um, I get a lot of cases off of 70. So, the PACE team uh, PACE team is a group from Wayne County, I think Hancock County, Henry County. That kind of work together, get federal funding to effectuate traffic stops to stop drug trafficking through 70 because it's a big corridor between the East Coast and then maybe Chicago or or even down in Texas or different places. Um, The civil asset forfeiture that I see, um, you know, I'm I'm trying to think of, of some specific recent things that I've seen, but it's. It's hard to fight because usually, if my client's charged with, for example, like a level three drug trafficking or, or drug dealing case, they're usually incarcerated, so they don't really have the means to fight that case. They don't have they don't get the right to a civil attorney, even though they're getting their stuff taken without being convicted. Um, so that's the real challenge for indig. It's usually indigent people that are getting in our area, at least from what I've seen. It's indigent people that are getting cars or cash seized or whatever else. Um, the real challenge is the fact that they don't have counsel on that case. And I can say, I can advise them a little bit on something like that, but I don't do civil work. So I I tend to stay away from things I don't know about, but I do give them at least somewhere to start. Um, but until we get like a civil Gideon past where... People in civil cases are entitled to an attorney, which I don't think is going to happen. Realistically, it's not going to happen anytime soon in Indiana, but I think it should be something that we would consider in Indiana. Until that happens, then it's it's still going to be an uphill battle. That case team really has generated interest locally here. The not yes. The yeah, with the way some of the money has went or not went, uh, yeah, that's It's part of the problem when we have multi-jurisdictional people and not really one in charge, I suppose. Um, I don't know a lot about that controversy other than what I've read in the newspaper, so. Is there anything you can do as, like, private citizens or even as a local party or as protect against that? That's a good question. I don't know. Um, Just make it more of a known issue. I I suppose that in our county, I mean, I've read a lot about this. Um, I've seen it be a lot more egregiously abused in different places, different states, things like that. Um, The the, the issue you're going to run into is that it's hard to get people to be compassionate for indigent criminal defendants. It's hard for me to go to a a party and people think, oh, man, what you do is... Really important, really important to society, which I think it is. But at the same time, it's hard to generate that sort of popular support because I, I'd say, by and large, the people that that do have assets forfeited through civil asset forfeiture are indigent and they are in jail, and usually they won't even know a that it's happening or b what to do about it. So, yes, sir. But what kind of is the of prison? Yeah. That's a good question. Yeah, that's that's a good question. I don't. It seems like it, right? It seems like they want to keep it at a certain level, um, just so they can keep the keep the money going, I guess. But uh, right now, what I see is there's a big shift of of I suppose obligation onto the counties now, so that they want the, they want to come out to the taxpayers of the state of Indiana say we've saved all this money. Really, what you've done is you pass expense onto the county. So the county's stuck with the bill. So that's what I see more of as a trend, at least in our state going forward, um, in terms of, in terms of incarceration issues. That's the, that's the, that's the big question for me. What do we do with all these level six people for maintaining common nuisance that they can't bond out? They can't hire their own attorney? They can't dispose of these cases quickly. So they're sitting in jail for, I don't know, 45, 60 days. You know, they're losing jobs, they're losing, you know, apartments or wherever they live, they're losing cars. You know, and then they come out on the other end and they're just in a worse position. So the whole is I've to people around, I think they that as well. But on the That's correct. A job, yes. Now the thing is though, the thing I will say this about our, our local community. If someone not being able to pay is not Going to be a basis for them to be disqualified or removed from the program. I I, here locally, other places it would be. I mean, they would say, you know, you can't pay for your home detention; you're going back in jail. Um, We are really blessed here in Henry County with good judges and good probation officers and and a lot of good people um, that I get to work with on a day-to-day basis, um, where they will be somewhat compassionate. We'll say, look, you know, just because they can't they don't have a place to live doesn't mean they need to be in jail you know we, we we just we've we've hit a point locally where we're out of space I mean there's just no other place to put people judges know that prosecutors know that cops know that probation officers know that so we got to come up with more creative solutions in order to address these problems and people do need to be supervised but it doesn't mean that um, it mean it has to be in the jail yeah Hard question. Um, It's just it's hard to gain traction in like a in like a prosecutor race or a a race for a judge as a third party. I mean, I'm sure is with anything else, but um, that's that gets that, that would be the challenge, I suppose. Would be how do you how do you gain support for somebody like that unless there's some crisis or something where you can come in and say, you know, left and right aren't working. Let's let's try this third way. Yes, yeah. It's it's hard to get it's hard to get a third party support. I mean, the county government is heavily Republican. I mean, that's not not, <laughs> I'm not breaking news out here, but it's it's a Republican county, so. Uh, you know, it's hard to it's hard to break that. And it's hard to it's hard to get anywhere without being a Republican in county government. To be honest, I mean, it's just it's just hard to break in. Yeah, yeah, a county. Yeah, yeah. Yes, sir. Yes. You had a question in the minute. Okay. All right. Okay. Thank you, guys. I appreciate you having me.